Welcome back to The Mentors. This is Vadim. And Sergey. And this is a show we tell stories of ordinary people that became extraordinary entrepreneurs despite lack of experience, money, or connections. Today on the show, we have Ishveen Anand, who is an incredible entrepreneur that I actually came across, funny enough, on LinkedIn and reached out to a little while ago. I believe, Ishveen, correct me if I'm wrong, I think I saw a post by Baron Davis, who is a, or was a professional basketball player, and he is an investor in the company, correct? Correct, yeah. So I think I saw a post by him, or maybe it was somebody that, that uh, quoted him and talked about some of the work that you've done. I was obviously impressed. We always love to feature stories of uh, entrepreneurs that are doing great things. And once I looked you up, I found out you're Forbes under 30 under 30, Inc. Top 100 female founders. And, you know, all these things kind of came together for me because we like to bring people onto the show to help other entrepreneurs feel like this is accessible, this world of entrepreneurship. And we always say it's not easy, but it's certainly accessible. And if it's something that you want to do, if you're passionate about bringing value to the world, you should do it. And obviously you have a little bit of an unusual background. We're going to get into that in the show. But the first thing I want to start with is something that I read about you, or I believe you wrote uh, in a publication somewhere online. And what you talked about specifically was that you feel that it's important for people to get experience in the real world, get real jobs, if you will, and work for other people uh, before starting their own companies. So can you expand on that a little bit and maybe talk about how that was helpful for you in your career before you started your first business? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think validation is the name of the game, right? So with startups and why, right? Because it's much easier to acquire customers if you have a validated product or a validated team. That's why you go out and hire senior folk or better folk, or that's why you put logos all over your your website, right? Um, It's easier to raise funding if you are a second time founder. Why? Because you're validated or if you, did an MBA at Harvard or whatever else. Um, It's easier to employ better people if you have validation as a business, right? Whether it's raising money or someone else talks about you or whatever else. And so validation is like literally the name of the game. And I think maybe, you know, being female, being a minority, being a a British expat here, I, I see more than other people like the power of validation. And so, you know, when people talk about like, what was the impact on your life from of 30 under 30? To be honest, like, you know, it's not like I woke up the next day and I was a different person. I just say that bit of extra validation. And so I think those first jobs validate you, right? What you're saying is like someone took a chance and employed me, one. Someone actually trained me to, I went out and I got some real world experiences, kind of three. And so not only is it what you learn, right? A lot of people may say, well, you know, I'm sitting in this office at like, Ernst and Young or in consulting or wherever they are, right? And like, I'm not really learning anything and I'm pushing coffee. Like what I would say is like, even learning how to do that level of maturity you need to work in corporate, like just waking up on time, right? And and having a full-time job, like there's obviously those skills that you learn, but more than that is when you become an entrepreneur and some, like someone turns around and is like, okay, so you're an entrepreneur, tell me about yourself. Like if you're like, yeah, so I left but maybe I dropped out of school and I started this. Well, some people might pattern recognition and say, okay, great. Um, but a lot of people are going to be like, wait, you're what, 22, 23? Like, and what have you done with your time? And and you're so young that like, go out and do something first that puts a bit of validation on your resume because 
A, it should help you and, and B, that validation will, will help you as you go off to like hire customers, like get customers, hire people, raise money. Yeah, you're 100% right. And it's funny because when uh, we were younger, especially as you're getting into the working world, Sergey and I both graduated with finance degrees. We thought we could do anything. We thought we could get any job. And if we didn't have the skills or experience, we could just figure it out. And obviously now it's been about, what, 10, 12 years since graduating college. And having worked in a bunch of different roles, we really value experience for a reason. Because you can bring somebody onto the team, or if we're brought onto another team, you know how to solve problems right away. And you are now, of course, running Open Sponsorship, which uh, is the largest two-sided marketplace for sports sponsorships in the world. You guys connect brands to, I think, over 5,700 athletes. You've done thousands of deals. And so obviously now you've been running this company for four and a half years and have accomplished a lot. And we're going to get into that business and how you got it off the ground in a little bit. But if you can give us any specifics, like what were some of those early experiences that you think really helped you get an edge when you did decide to start your own business? Yeah, I think um, I was very clear on what I'm starting and why. I think, you know, the journey will change, like how you get there will change, like what it may look like, what step one, step two may be reversed. But what is really important is like, what is my end goal? Right. And being clear on on that mission, you know, you hear a lot about like startups saying like, you know, be clear on the mission, make sure there's a mission statement on the wall. I think when the way that I started the business was, you know, I wasn't necessarily looking to be an entrepreneur and definitely not a tech entrepreneur, but I was like, why is it not on an Airbnb for our industry? So, you know, back up a quick bit, like I used to be a sports agent, loved it. And, but I was, I, I was very confused as to why it was so tough to make deals and why it was so illogical. And so one day I was on a flight traveling from A to B to try and get these deals done. And I was like, why is it just not an Airbnb? Somewhere you can see what inventory is available in the sports world. Um, like, hey, what if the Dallas Mavericks has a tequila category open? Great, tequila company should spon- be able to see that and come in and sponsor it. Why do we need like relationships in the middle? And so I think because that is so clear to me, um, it's been easier um, for me to, to hire people, to tell that story, to get PR, because I'm just so clear on the end goal. Doesn't necessarily mean I'm helping Dallas Mavericks today get a tequila sponsor, but I know that where I'm trying to go. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it absolutely makes sense. And and it sounds like your experience as a sports agent allowed you to to see some of these pl- things play out and actually recognize that opportunity. And you mentioned earlier, you know, someone that's 22, 23, starting a company, maybe with no experience, people are going to look at them and question, well, what what can they actually do? The entrepreneurs that we know who are 22 and 23 and they're doing well, actually had started small businesses before, you know, their current ones, or they did something manually before turning it into a technology platform, let's say, so they could prove and validate it. And so it sounds like while you were in that uh, sports agent role, you you saw these things and you recognized the opportunity, but you mentioned yourself, you're all about validation. So how did you then go about validating the opportunity and whether you would actually personally be able to build, build a business out of it? What was that first initial step that you took to, to prove to yourself that, the, you know, you could actually execute on this business and, and it can be, it can provide a return for you. Yeah. Um, I think all entrepreneurs are a little bit like 
run into the wind and like we'll figure it out um i think we wouldn't be an entrepreneur if, if you weren't a bit like that uh because it's completely illogical that you'll change a 60 billion dollar industry like yourself um so there, there definitely is an element of like okay i just believe that this will happen um i feel that you know there was a lot of time that i spent like thinking about it and like a bit of yeah not a lot like maybe three months talking about it and whatever else and then there was a point where I would wake up every morning and I'd you know so let's say a few people that I told about it like they'd email me links and I'd be so stressed that someone's already doing this idea and that's when I realized like okay I need to do this full-time like I'm becoming obsessed with the idea and so I'm not sure the validation was very well thought out like hey let me go interview people and see if they'll buy it um I think partly it was like well, I know that this is a need that exists and I'm really worried that someone else is going to do this before me. So the two of them together led to like, all right, let's just dive in. Hmm. Now, did you have, you have the ability, it sounds like, to jump into it full-time right away. Were you already, did you, were you at another gig at this point or were you in between gigs? Set the stage for us. Yeah, so I was, so I'd moved to New York um, about seven years ago. I got married to an American. And so I had at that point, because I was, I was really obsessed with this cross-border angle of sponsorship. So I'd set up my own agency to do cross-border deals. And so I suppose I was lucky in that way that like the foregoing of the revenue that I was making was not massive. And anyway, I was like, all right, well, it will roll up to what I'm doing I suppose um so I almost like basically just like switched that off knowing that this was a better opportunity I was privileged in the sense that I could self-fund a little bit and I know that not everyone has that but I'd also say that you know we after about a year of so like we really launched like end of 2014 early 2015 and after about a year we applied to 500 startups and got in and I wish I'd done that sooner um, I might not have got in, but I wish I had done that sooner. And so I think like there's so many amazing accelerators out there. So for people who are like, I think I have an idea, I think I'm the person to solve it. And I've got a bit of a business plan. I definitely think there are like incubators and accelerators out there that can help you out. Um, and it's not a case of like, I can either only like the, my only option is to raise a million dollars or not do my idea. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, and as you, as you mentioned too, that, that validation, 500 startups is one of the you know, I would say top three probably accelerators in the country. Um, you know, as far as the value of, of what you actually got out of the experience, we, we could talk about that. But certainly from a brand recognition perspective and validation for investors, it's recognized as one of the top programs out there. But what is it that you did? So that year, you know, that year, 500 startups is a reason why they accepted you. I'm sure you you proved the opportunity somehow. And obviously your expertise in the industry also played a role, I'm sure, but in that year, when you when you first started getting it off the ground, a platform is is notoriously difficult to to build. A two sided marketplace is is hard to build. So did you focus on the supply first, the demand? You know, how did you get those initial transactions and prove that you could have something that's repeatable? Yeah. So um, I went after the supply first. Um, so yeah, and at that point, it wasn't so athlete focused. I was just like, let me just. You know, sign people up and the value part was pretty strong right like hey you're you, you know you're in need of sponsorship money um let's sign you up so we actually got like yeah go back to mavericks we got like the dallas mavericks signed up i mean it was free for them to sign up and we were going to take a commission on the deal we got the new york met signed up and i i think people were just like oh this is really interesting but let's see if it works kind of thing so we got to around a thousand athletes and um teams and events 
within that year. And then we started turning on the brand side and that's when a lot of the learnings came because we were like, oh, these are a lot of small brands with very small budgets, like how are we going to monetize this? And so I think when we applied to 500, we just started thinking about subscription. And I think we'd prove that like two customers would pay like $200 a month, right? And so um, it was a really interesting year of realizing, and I still say this today, like I think pricing strategy and business model they, they are absolutely key to success and not enough um, emphasis is given to them. Like we wasted a whole year because we're not, not wasted. Of course, we were building up our athlete side, but like, I suppose you figure things out, but like subscription was really important for us today. I don't know if in five years time we'll be a subscription based marketplace or whether we'll have a slightly different model. Um, so I think, you know, a lot of that first year was just like getting on our early users and like figuring out, okay, how are we going to make money? Yeah, it's something that I, I teach to my students as well because people get confused about revenue models and what should work and pricing because it is inherently, it's not that straightforward. And what a lot of, especially first-time founders don't realize is your pricing and revenue models might change several times. I mean, I know startups that whose pricing changed once a dozen times in one year. And it is very iterative like anything else. You kind of work towards it. And in terms of business model, you might identify another business model uh, for the same product that you're offering that can give you a much higher return or even multiple income streams. So I always say don't get married to a particular business model. But to take a step back, you mentioned that in the first year you uh, got the Mavericks, the Dallas Mavericks signed up and the Mets. So I want to dig into that a little bit. I'm assuming when you were applying to 500 startups, that was probably pretty impressive to them that you were able to do that. How did you actually get them to sign up? Were you leveraging uh, personal relationships at this point? Who did you reach out to within these organizations and how did you navigate them to get them to commit? Um, it wasn't relationships. I think, I mean, I'm really like, I'm a big cold emailer. I think there's no excuse ever to not get in front of the right person if you can write a good email. And so I think we did a lot of cold emailing at that early stage of like, hey, you know, this is what we're doing. This is our value prop. It's really quick and easy to sign up. There's like very little risk to you guys. And I suppose they they weren't, again, this comes back down to validation. Open sponsorship as a company had like zero credibility at that point. But luckily, I mean, I had just been put on the Forbes list and you know, had a, a semi like impressive background having gone to Oxford and things. And so I think a lot of people were like, okay, well, we trust in you as the founder, so so we'll sign up. And it's not really any skin of our back. So I think, you know, let, let me tell you, like a lot of people will f fantasize about like logos or names or whatever else but for me like what I know is that brands are the most important right like at the end of the day like if we don't do any deals with these athletes like if the brands are not spending money then no one really cares and so even though like it's very exciting that we've got like the likes of you know Rob Gronkowski or Todd Gurley or, or these teams signed up we have a very we don't let ourselves get too caught up on that because for us it's like well our brands spending money in our marketplace Right, that makes sense. I uh, totally agreed. But even when you were, and I love that you said, by the way, the cold email, uh, I think I reached out to you, obviously, cold, and that worked. Uh, Sergey and I always talk about the fact that you can always create opportunities 
for yourself, even if you don't have a network, just by being willing to do the outreach, uh, whether it's for hiring talent or business development or fundraising, whatever it is. Uh, literally, when we were doing fundraising for our last startup, we got most of our meetings actually through cold outreach early on, and people don't believe that you could uh, get investor meetings through cold outreach, and it's very much so possible. So uh, I love that you that you guys did that successfully. But how did you even know who to reach out to, let's say, at the Mavericks? I mean, obviously, you have experience in the industry, but did you have to reach out to a bunch of people before you started getting responses, or did it come pretty quickly? Uh, I think it came pretty quickly. So, you know, we knew the title that we were focused on. Um, I spend probably more time on LinkedIn than most people. Um, so it was, yeah, I think it was just like finding the person. And, and obviously, like, people will pass you up and down in the department, like, hey, this lower person will evaluate or whatever else. Um, but I think, it, again, it comes back to, it sounds so simple, but it comes back to, like, just having a really strong value prop with and then a compelling business model. Had I been trying to charge them money when I didn't have any brands, I don't think they would have signed up. But I was like, hey, give us a chance. And also you'll get people who are champions of trying to do new things. Like they're also internally trying to be innovative. And so it's about finding those people. And you you only know that if, you know, if I emailed 30 NBA teams and I got two responses, well, those are the two people who are trying to be creative about doing deals. And the other 28, like, they're not, but you only need to. So, like, don't get hung up on the fact that the ratio of response rate was like less than ten percent. Was it was it marketing folks that you started out reaching out to? Uh, so for us, it was corporate partnerships. Mm -hmm. Got it. And corporate partnerships makes sense. So, you know, what, what would you say to someone who is thinking about building a platform and and building out, let's say, maybe the supply side like you started, but they feel nervous that um, that they're not going to be able to show the value because they don't have the other side yet figured out, right? They don't have the other side yet built out. And so they can't have transactions happen immediately. I mean, how, how did you manage that? You were getting these thousand athletes signed up, all these teams signed up, but you couldn't yet connect them with sponsors. So how did you make sure that you kept them warm for, for the time that you actually can provide that value? Yeah, I think, um, again, I suppose it depends on pricing. So if you're not charging them, which is what I would encourage, like, you know, you're starting out, you don't have the other side built out, don't charge anyone to be on the platform. Um, so you're not charging them. You sell them on like, hey, this is what I'm going to do. You make it very easy for them to, to be, to sign up. So it doesn't take a lot of time. And then I think people are naturally patient. Like, um, I remember when, Still to this day, even though we're like hitting 2020, if you sign up to a new website and it works, like instantly you're able to either make money or it does what it's supposed to do, you're always like pleasantly surprised, right? Like I remember like when I did Airbnb for the first time and I was like, oh my gosh, like people actually want to book my house. I'm going to make money on this like so quick. Like no, no effing way. That's amazing, right? And that's like Airbnb. And so I think like don't be scared to say to people like, hey, you do this now. I'll come back to you. But I'm what I'm not telling them to do is log in every day and like fake. I'm not trying to do fake metrics of usage, right? Or optimize for something that doesn't make sense. I've got you on the like. So, for example, every 
four years there's an Olympics every other like every time between that there's a winter Olympics during that season we will go out and we'll onboard more athletes who are like Olympians or winter Olympians so so during the Olympics like they'll be able to get like let's say 5x the the deal value that they can when they're not in in an Olympics year right um but what will happen is like I think the main thing to understand is that people are patient. They, they're not going to be aggressive. Like, you know, they'll sign up to this new platform and then they'll say, cool, bring me, bring me value when you can, but I'm not going to hate you if you're not bringing me value every day because without you, I didn't have that alternative. Like, so, you know, we did things like we didn't sign anyone up exclusively. And it was a big question. Like a lot of people early on were like, well, why don't you ask for exclusivity? And I was like, well, I don't know if I can deliver. So I don't want to create this false pretense of like you sign up exclusively to me and now you have huge expectations from me. And so I think, you know, the, the main thing when you're building up is promise what you can actually promise, but sell them on the fact that like this will work at some point. Yeah. Now, once you decide, so actually, uh, when you were getting people to sign up on the platform, did you actually build out, like, did you hire a tech team to build out a, a, a real platform the way that you envisioned it? Or did you just have like a, you know, a sign up form or something where you would just collect their information? Like, what was the experience like for, for those folks? And, and did you, um, did you actually spend some time building before you went out and reached out to those folks on LinkedIn? Yeah, we, we, um, we did, we've always been pretty product focused. So, We've always had great functionality. What we didn't optimize at all for was design UI UX for probably like two years. So, which look, they always say like, you know, if you put out a product that you're not embarrassed about, then, you know, you release too late kind of thing. Um, definitely look back and I'm embarrassed about what we put out, but it, it's fine. Um, so we had a sign up, like a link, you'd sign up, you'd register, you'd create this profile. It looked very much like a dating profile. And then that's it. And then over time we built campaigns for brands that you would apply to and blah, blah, blah. Um, so I'd say, I think it's really important to think about being product first from the bit, from the gecko. Now, obviously there are elements of like non-scalability, right? Like you can't create product for everything, especially because you're not sure what you need. But the big thing that I cared about was actually when we went out to raise our, our round, like a lot of people were like, oh, you're like an agency. And I was like, we're not an agency. We have a tech platform. What are you talking about? And it really made me realize how many st- companies there are that are, they're like an agency with a website. And I genuinely didn't want to be that because like why the hell am I busting my balls like you know to to not have a product like a proper product and so we've been always pretty obsessed about product and I do think like if I was to do it again I'd do the same thing so some people may disagree and some people will be like it's okay to have a form and an excel sheet and just like pretend to be a tech platform when you don't have one for, for early validation but again I wasn't really thinking that this was a hypothesis I needed to test out I know that the industry needs to change it's just a case of like well what are the like instruments to get you there so let's talk about that the piece of it the fundraising side and also I mean it looks like you had uh, maybe some money saved up where you could invest in this but uh you got into 500 startups, you went through the process, you graduated. What was it looking like on the other side? Is that when you went after your initial fundraising? Was this just an angel round that you were looking to put together? I'm sure you got some money, obviously, from 500 startups as well. But uh, how quickly did you figure out, okay, I have enough here now, enough is working where I'll raise money to kind of put fuel 
uh, pour fuel on the fire. So because I didn't come from the, the school of like startups and tech founders, you know, I was a sports agent and then I kind of started this. I wasn't surrounded by a lot of people who were saying like, this is how things are done. And so for me, like making money, like generating revenue was always quite important. Um, And so when we finished 500, you have your demo day at the end of the accelerator, which is an amazing forcing function because even people like me who who don't love fundraising, um, it makes you actually do it, right? Because you have to prepare, you have a demo day, VCs kind of speak to you. So the demo day, I think that another reason why I absolutely love accelerators is because they, you know, they force you to do, to, to get out there, to get on stage, to talk about your business in front of an investor community. Because we had been focused on revenue, um, we actually had decent revenue for a two-person company um, at that point. And so we had quite a lot of inbound interest and we were able to raise this round of around 1.4 million. And um, we relocated back from San Francisco to New York and really started putting the work, the money to work. So if I could go back, Potentially, I think about raising more money and having spe- spend a little bit more time and get more, but we didn't really need it. And again, because we were so focused on making money um, and generating revenue, it, you know, it, it wasn't like funding was what needed to keep the lights on. Um, I do think that for most people and for us, when we think about our next round, it's going to be much more of a, a process where, you know, we'll block out six months, we'll go on the road, we'll speak to hundreds of investors, you know, to get like three yeses or whatever it may be. So, you know, I'm under no pretense that like that is always going to be as easy as it was. Um, and next time I'm sure that it will be that longer process, which I think most startups do have to go through. And what was the revenue that you were doing by the end of the program when you were doing that first funding round? Oh my gosh, I have no idea. I can't even remember. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I have no idea. Was it, in, was it in the hundreds of thousands? No, 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 no. But we were, it was MRR. So it was like, and I think we'd, we'd shown that over the program, like, because we just launched subscription in Jan 1. Got it. And mm-hmm. so we'd shown like, you know, it was steady growth. So it wasn't mm-hmm. like, you know, I'll always say like YC numbers, like crazy millions, but it was also, mm-hmm. it was, enough that people are like okay big mark i mean you know there's a lot of things that go into that but like big market opportunity solid founding team and okay there's something here that's it for part one of our interview with ishveen anand next week in part two we're going to be digging deeper into what the team was able to do with that 1.4 million dollars after going through 500 startups why they were so product focused from the very beginning her thoughts on why design is really important for any company and why people should think about that actually earlier on than they think. And of course, how now, several years later, with a lot of experience under their belts, the business is actually changing today, including what the team is focusing on to make sure that they drive those deal sizes up and drive those revenue numbers higher and higher. If you enjoyed today's episode, it would be really, really helpful for us if you could share it with just one friend that you think might get inspired by this content or learn something new, maybe to motivate them to act on their own goals and work towards their own better future. Just go ahead and click into your Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify listening app 
and click on share. Send it to that one friend that you're thinking about right now. It would be super helpful for us and would help spread the word about the mentors. We hope you have a wonderful week ahead and a fantastic start to the new year. As always, if you want to reach us directly, send us an email to info at thementors.co and we'll be sure to respond to you as soon as we can. Thanks a lot for listening and we'll see you next week.